Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So we're starting a brand, uh, a brand new series today called Better Off Broken. And we say this all the time. If you've been to Springwell, this is nothing new. We say it literally almost every week. We say we're all broken. What does the word all mean in the Greek? Yeah, it, it, so we're all broken. Now, listen, we don't, we don't like just come up with this on our own. It's actually based on Romans 3.23. So Romans 3.23, in case you're brand new to church, says it like this. It says, for all, again, the original language of the New Testament is Greek. It's Koine Greek, common Greek. And the word all in the Greek means for all have sinned. So here's the thing. We're all on the same page. You feel better? Like we're all on the Titanic. We're all going down, but we're all together. Don't you feel better now? Yeah, so we're all, for all have sinned, not a couple, not a few, not most, for all have sinned. And then notice those two words, fall short, fall miserably short of the glory of God. And if like you're new to church, falling short of God's glory is falling short of perfection. And just so you know, again, even those of you have been in church for a long time, it's interesting, you know, how you grow up in church and you grow up reading verses and you read them your whole life, but you don't really ever stop to think about what you're reading. So God's glory, what was God's glory? What does God's glory refer to in this verse? That would be Jesus. So God's glory um, was Jesus. And Jesus was God's glory because, because he was fully God and he was fully human. Now that's you got to wrap your brain around that just for a second. Again, I know this is like the high church crowd, right? 11 o'clock, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? So y'all love Jesus, right? Boy, that was awful. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. Y'all love Jesus, right? Boy, that was scary. So here's the thing. So those of you that, that love Jesus, you know that we all fall short. We all come miserably short. Of perfection. That's one of the things I love about this church. One of the things that I love about this church is that this church as a whole, we really do. We, the people here, the folks that attend here every single week, we're very much aware of our sinfulness. We're, we're very well aware that we're not perfect, that we all fall short of perfection. Here's the thing. We all, we really do understand that we're broken. And if you were brought up with just a little bit just a tinge of religion, then what you know is that's where the mental battle begins. It's that whole idea of understanding and knowing that I'm broken, that I fall short, that I'm a sinner. That's the struggle, isn't it? I think most of us are familiar with the idea of sowing and reaping. You don't have to be a church person to understand that. And, and, and somewhere along the way, maybe you've heard it like this. Boy, that's the way I heard it. My mom, if my mom told me this once, I cannot tell you the number of times. My mom would look at me and say, boy, you're going to reap what you sow. Hello, anybody else heard that? Anybody else in it with me? Do you have the same mama? Wow, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, I heard that growing up. If I heard it once, I heard it a million times. Or maybe, like, you know what, if you didn't have any kind of church background going on, maybe you heard it like this, you're going to get what's coming to you. 
right? That's another way of kind of saying the same thing. Or, or how about this one? What goes around comes around. And so you just, you live with that, you know, that guilt of knowing, oh, no. What goes around comes around. Or maybe, maybe you heard this one, actions always, there you go, have their consequences. Always, always. Now, here's the thing. Um, sometimes consequences or actions can be good. <laughs> Y'all thinking, no. Sometimes they can be good. Like most principles, the principle of sowing and reaping can actually work for you or it can work against you. Felonies result in prison sentences. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. That's okay. <laughs> and don't laugh. We're that church. I'm just saying, I can have you taken out, buddy, in a spit if you mess with me. I mean, we got some people at this church. But they also can have, you know, some good consequences, academic diligence, which I never knew anything about. But I heard that that can result in good grades, right? But my guess is, is that if you're a sinner, then you usually don't focus on how it works for you. And that's where the problem is, right? I'm a sinner. Your sins will find you out. My mama used to tell me that all the time. Your sins are going to find you out, son. And so I would live scared to death because I knew that I was a sinner. I could have been a professional. I should have got my Ph.D. in sin. I mean, I was good at it. But what if? What if the things you think make you less actually make you more? Hang on. Let that sink into your head just for a second. What if the things that you think make you less actually make you more? What if, what if being broken is the very best place you can be? What if? Is that messing with you a little bit? Maybe a better way to say it is this. What if the realization of your brokenness leads you to see and experience God's greatest gift, which is grace. What if? That's why religious people never experience the grace of God. They don't know the depths of the grace of God. That's why when you're around religious people, you always feel like you're under condemnation because they don't understand grace. They can't see it or experience it, taste it. So today we're going to talk about grace, the beautiful gift of God's grace. And if you're a sinner, <laughs> which we all are, it's going to be a great day. Now, I bet if you've been around church for a while, you're thinking right now, today going to be a New Testament day. Today's going to be a New Testament day because we all know, we all know that there's a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, right? I mean, like, we all know that. Th those of us who have been in church for a while, I mean, we just kind of grew up understanding that there's a huge difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. In fact, I don't know, I don't know if anybody necessarily taught me this in church, but it's how I saw God. I saw the God of the Old Testament as being mean and vengeful. Life was cheap in the Old Testament. Hello, anybody? How many people, hey, so I don't even read the Old Testament. 
<clears throat> I'm scared of the Old Testament. I'm not reading the Old Testament. I even read that in the second century there was a, a bishop by the name of Marcion who was so struck by the contrast between the descriptions of the God of the New and the Old Testaments that he concluded that they must be different beings entirely. And just so you know, they churched him. I mean, they completely kicked him out of church. But how many of you are going, you know what, that makes sense to me. Like, am I the only one? Because that's what I grew up thinking, that there was a difference. I never would have said or expressed or really thought that they were two different beings, but I certainly saw that the God of the Old Testament, judgment was swift. But the God of the New Testament was totally different. He's a compassionate, loving father. And if, in fact, to be honest with you, I, you know, I used to look at the God of the Old Testament, but the God of the New Testament, he was my heavenly father. He was my loving heavenly father. He was kind. He was generous. He was gracious. He was merciful. In fact, he was so concerned about sinful man that he revealed himself through Jesus. And Jesus was like totally awesome. So if you're like brand new to church and you really want to figure out who God is, right? That's your conclusion. Let's go to the, let's go to the New Testament and let's look at the life of Jesus because Jesus was full of mercy and grace. In fact, there's so many sweet stories about Jesus being drawn to the worst of sinners. And here's the kicker, and they were drawn to, to him. And that's what really threw me off for a long time. I remember back in the day when I'd go to church on occasion with my mom. And I just said occasion, I didn't go very often. But when I did, you know, you know at the Baptist church, when, you, when, you, when the service was over and you left the church, the pastor always stood at the center door. Y'all got that. First service, they didn't even get that. Center, not center, but it could have been the same. <laughs> you know, and so there were like three doors, and the pastor was at the, at the middle door, and I never went to the middle door. I mean, just being around the pastor, I always going to go, I'm sorry. If he would have said, for what? I would have gone, I don't know, but I know I'm guilty. You know, I just know I feel, I feel guilt and I feel shame. I'm overwhelmed with it. But sinners, notorious sinners, they were drawn to Jesus. And I remember when I first started reading the New Testament, I went, wow. So you're probably thinking, yep, definitely going to be a New Testament day. And if you'd be thinking that, you'd be wrong. We're going to be in the Old Testament. Because there really is, there, the same God that is the God of the New Testament is the same God that's the God of the Old Testament. And guess what? Guess what book we're going to be in? Genesis. How can you be in Genesis and, and talk about grace? It's just not there, is it? Wow, it, it absolutely is. Guess what chapter? Chapter 1. <laughs> we'll come to the end and we'll jump to chapter 3, but we're just going to focus just on chapter 1, and we're going to talk about grace. And for those of you that are new to church, and even if you're new to church, you probably already know this. Like, so Genesis opens up with a creation story, which is really awesome. I mean, that's awesome. And the author, and this, so who wrote the book of Genesis? Well, that would be Moses. Moses wrote the book of Genesis, but he had far more in mind. And, and really it wasn't him. It wasn't what he had in mind. It's what the Holy Spirit of God told him to write. So, so when, I look at, when I look at the Bible, I think these aren't just the words of man. These are the words of God. That it's God breathed. That these words aren't just words. They're God's words, which make it even that more awesome. And let me just say this. 
that when God told Moses what to write, he had so much more than creation in mind. In fact, let me tell you what will help you understand that. So when, like, when did Moses write the book of Genesis? Because when you understand the when, it helps you understand the why. Well, shortly after the Israelites escaped the bonds of slavery in Egypt, that's when Moses sat down to write this remarkable book. Here was the purpose. You ready? To prove that God created the world. That's not why. So that's one of the things that we get hung up on as Christians is we, we feel like that's the reason that God gave us Genesis is to debate all the weird people out there that think that it just happened. That's not the reason. You have to understand that this, these, the children of Israel had been in bondage for 400 years. And in that 400-year span, all they knew was the gods of the Egyptians. And I say God's plural. That was the influence they had, 400 years of an influence of other gods. And so here's the thing, they had forgotten their God. So who is God? And so here's what, here's what, here's the reason. He said, I'm gonna, I want to write this book. I want to write this book to introduce, reintroduce my people to who I am. It's awesome. It really, really is. And I mean, the creation story is awesome, but the reason why God created everything is even sweeter. So you ready? You having fun yet? Because, man, I've had the most fun doing this. First one, in the beginning, we can all say that, right? We can quote that. You don't even have to look. I don't have to read it. In the beginning, God created, right? We all know that. I mean, even if you're not a church goer, you probably have heard those words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was covering all the waters. That's awesome. God created. And it just wasn't a bunch of gases going boom in the night. And you can take gas any way you want to. Can you say that in church? You can, actually. So God spoke it. And so people always want to say, really? So you think, yeah. And really, I think it takes more faith to believe that a bunch of gases just hooked up and went boom and then out popped Adam. Hello? Oh, that's right. It wasn't Adam. It was a monkey or something. I don't know. Anything living can come out of that. It takes more faith to believe that than to believe there's a God who orchestrated the whole thing, that there's actually a designer behind the design. I'm just saying. It's awesome. So why did God create? Some, some have argued because he was lonely. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like he wasn't the only one around. And, and really, if you get dig into the Bible, there was, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They always existed, so they had each other. They were really, really tight. If you're from Greer, they were really, really tight. <laughs> Community was really, really tight, I'm just saying. And then, and then there were all these angels, and so it was not like because he was lonely. So why, why did he, what was the real reason? So then it says this, and God said, let there be light. Ah, I told you. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He just spoke it, and it just, it just was. There was nothing, there was darkness, and then in like a split nanosecond, boom, now suddenly there's light. And then God saw that the light was good. But God's not the only one that thinks that light is good. We think that light's good, right? Don't you think light's good? Yeah, but once the last time you said, God, I see light as the extension of your grace. 
Can I be honest with you? I'm not fussing at you. I've never done that to my knowledge. I mean, I really got into this and started studying this, and I went, I went, whoa, like God saw it was good, but I think it's good. But I mean, like, when was the last time I thanked God for the light? And you know when I tend to thank God for the light? It's when I'm in the dark. Hello. Like, you know, have you ever, like, been off and, and maybe, you know, you were gone somewhere that day and you thought you'd get back earlier, but you got back and it was already dark. And so you're going into the house and you got all this stuff in your hands. Y'all with me? Anybody else besides me? You got all this stuff in your hands. And I know this is church, but and you, so you're trying to get the key and you, everything drops and you save stuff that's not, it's not church language. That's when you want to be thankful for the light. But when was the last time you thanked God for the light? When was, when was the last time you woke up early in the morning? I get up early in the morning. When I get up, it's always dark. And then to watch the sunrise and go, God, thank you for the sun. Thank you for the light. When was, when was the last time? So the cliff notes on the creation story is that everything that is, God created. That's the cliff notes. But here's the thing. God was under no obligation to go to these seemingly great lengths. But he did. And at the end of each little creation cycle for everything that God created, we find this phrase that really declares the grace of God in a very subtle way, but we miss it. Because we're not there to discover who God is. We're there to win an argument over creation versus evolution versus whatever. Here's, here's the little phrase, and God saw that it was good. It's awesome. And for those of you that are interested in these kind of things, that's in verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25. But what does that mean? What, what, so what does it mean when God created light and he said, man, that's good. And then God created whatever else he created and he said, hmm, now that's good. Well, I actually, I actually learned this in seminary, believe it or not, like 100 years ago. Some folks that I read behind over the years have said that God was basically saying, good job. Like he was patting himself on the back, you know. And God said, wow, man, that's awesome. The moon, you really outdid yourself with the moon. And then he thought that. And then he looked at the Big Dipper and he said, wow, man, you're the bomb. Like, look at the Big Dipper. Like he didn't know it was good until he paused and looked at it. Like maybe it was an accident. But things really turned out good in the end. Some have even thought that perhaps of patting himself on the back, he said it in a comparative sense. And so literally, no kidding, there, there's, there's a group of scholars out there that believe that what God actually said was, cool, because this didn't turn out so good the first time. Like maybe there had been another creation, you know, like he had tried, he had tried light before and he said, I don't like that shade. I don't look good in that light. I don't know. I didn't make this up. These other people made this stuff up. And so like, you know, somehow, you know, it's in a, and then finally he said, but dude, like you really rocked the world. I mean, this is awesome. You didn't do so good before, but now you've done really, really good. So why did he do it? Well, you got to go to verse 28, really. 
Here's why he did it. Here's why he did everything that he did. And, and this, this is so important. If you struggle with your self-esteem, you just should know how God feels about you. And I think this speaks volumes to that. Verse 28. And God blessed what? Nah. Them. Them? And God blessed them. So everything that God did was a blessing. He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and all the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the, of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with its seed in it. And he said, I'm going to do it. And it can be yours to enjoy. Did you get in that? Is it sinking in just a tad? He did it for them. He did it for us. And there's an order to creation, just so you know. You should go back. Man was the last thing, not the first thing that God created. And so here's the thing. So God's in, in, in the creating. When he, so when he, when he created the moon, when he created the, the, the sun, when he created the stars, when he, when he created all that he created, when God created the ocean, he said, I'm going to do this for them. Just so they can enjoy it. So when God created a sparrow, when God created a blue jay, when God created a cardinal, when God created everything that God created, God created everything, and he said, I'm just creating this because I want you to enjoy it. It's for you. How many of y'all had a motor sandwich? If you're from the south and you even know what I just said. A motor sandwich this summer. It's awesome, isn't it? Do you realize God created that motor for you? Okay, for those of you who go, what? Tomato. <laughs> Tomato. So here's the thing. Like this summer, <clears throat> Lynn, our, our nutritionist lady was in first service. She, she didn't appreciate this next little part. And so like this summer, you probably bought a fresh lo- a loaf of white bread. It's from God. I'm just saying. And then, and then for those of you that are from up north, we love you. But there's Duke's Mayo. I'm just saying. There, that's it. Hello. Miracle whip. I mean, I don't even know what that is. There's no miracle about it. And so here's the thing. You cut, you slice that tomato, and then, and then you mired it up in that Duke's mayo. You with me? You could tell that bread upside down. Mater ain't falling out. Then you put the other. You, then you, then you got to listen. You got to put mayo on both sides of the bread. You ain't from the south if, you, if it ain't both sides. And before you close it up, you just salt. It's a gift from God. <clears throat> and then you put some pepper on there, boy. And then you stick it together. And if it don't ooze out, you got to put more mayo on there. And then you get an ice cold glass of milk. God created that tomato, and I believe that Duke's mayo. <laughs> Just for you to enjoy. I, I wish, I want to be a survivalist, woodsman kind of guy so bad. I just do, but I'm telling you, 
I stink at it. Like, we have poison ivy. I don't know if it's poison ivy or poison oak. I don't even know if there's a difference. I know it's at the back of my house. I'm pretty sure I know what that leaf looks like. But when I go through with that weed eater, and I get it all over me, and it'll take me a good solid week. I look like I got leprosy. It's awful. And people say, you know what you got? Yep. I get it every year. Usually a couple of times because I don't learn the first time. So now I go out in a hazmat suit, you know. But I love nature. I, I love it. I love nature. I, I love the lake. Man, if you've never been to Kiwi or Joe Cassie or Lake Robinson, Karen and I floated out on Lake Robinson a, a few weeks ago, and, and we, just, we just sat there and just looked at the mountains and went, <gasps> and it happens every single time that I, I can say, our Heavenly Father, He did that. And here's the thing, what I missed for too many years was like he did it for some, uh, some other reason. I missed that he did it just so I could sit there in a kayak and enjoy it. It's crazy. Salmon and, and cod and, and catfish. Hello. And he gives us the gift of everything being able to be fried. See, Lynn's not here. I wouldn't say this if Lynn was in here. Hush puppies. Oh, man, that's a gift from God. Wow. So let me ask you this question. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. And here's the thing. When God created, he created everything for us. And then created us and said, now I just want you to enjoy my creation. It's, it's a gift from me to you. Grace is never just enough. And I, I was grace, grace is a thing that gets you in by the skin of your teeth. No, 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 no. Grace is never just enough. Grace is always so much more than enough. But if you're religious, you miss it. Because you think you deserve it. I'm telling you, it's better off to be broken. In the midst of all that God declared good, there is one thing that did not please him. Anybody know what that was? Genesis 2, 18. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. But why? Adam would have never known the difference. How, how would he know? He didn't have anything to compare it to. He would have said, well, Cool. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for what? For him. Wow. So God, give us the beautiful gift of community, doing life with another person. Being able to experience, listen, I don't, I don't know what you know about community. It's not just hanging out. It's not just having a meal every now and then. I'm talking about life is when you're able to be naked and unashamed with another human being. It's when you're able to open up your soul and allow somebody else to look in at all the nastiness. And it's, and it's, it's still able to experience grace in those moments and to find somebody that would still believe in you after all that they see. 
to gift. But why? There's only one reasonable answer. You should write this down. It's deep. Just because he wanted to. Just because he wanted to. He didn't have to. Let's be honest, we would have never known the difference. He created us because he wanted to, and he gave us this beautiful world to enjoy, and that's, that's grace. This beautiful world that was given to us by grace hinged on a very fragile ideal, though. And the ideal was trust. So we created Adam and he created Eve for him. And he, they, he, they had this beautiful, beautiful garden to live in with, just to enjoy. And God said, here's the thing. You can have this and we're, we're going to have this relationship built on trust. There's just one, one tree in the garden. There's just one tree and everything else you can have as much as you want. Enjoy all you want. There's just this one tree. And I don't want you to eat the tree off of that. And Adam and Eve did good for a while. How long? We don't know. We don't know how long it was. But sooner or later, they violated that trust. They sinned. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. Immediately, they became aware of their nakedness, and they were ashamed. And so shame led to guilt. Shame and guilt entered the world. And there was another immediate consequence to sin. You won't read this in the commentaries. Stupidity entered the world. Stupidity. So what did Adam and Eve, what was the first thing they did after they sinned? They tried to run and hide in the garden that God created. How dumb is that? Like, where are you going to hide from God? He would say, oops. Like, they would say, oh, he doesn't know about this little secret place. <laughs> I guess he does. He's God. Sin led to shame, and then shame led to blame. Adam blamed God for giving him Eve. Again, it just led to stupidity. So God said, Adam, boy, hey, it ain't my fault. It's not even Eve's fault. You gave me this woman. It's your fault. That we're in the mess that we're in. Like I said, sin leads to stupidity. And God responded to Adam and Eve's sin like good parents respond to their children. Wise parents respond to their children. He disciplined his kids. And after laying out all the consequences of Adam and Eve's behavior, God addressed the serpent and foreshadowed the coming of the one who would take the full brunt of sin's penalty on behalf of the human race. So we'll jump to Genesis 3, a couple of verses. So the Lord God declared, said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enemy between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And that, that is, then he said, he 
He will crush your head. Hmm. He will crush your head. It's interesting. What does that mean? And you will strike his heel. It's a powerful statement. I just want you to know everything hinges on this verse. Again, it's, it's a display of grace. This is a foreshadow of Jesus. Now, some people have argued, no, no, no. He refers to mankind. Well, I'm not real good in English, as you can figure out, but the word he is a singular pronoun. It's a bit, it would have been a little strange for this context. In fact, if he was referring to the human race, it would have been plural. It wouldn't have been singular. And so apparently God wasn't referring to the human race in general, but he was referring to in one in particular. He was referring to one that literally would come to take away the, the sin, the guilt, and the shame of all of mankind. Again, that God, even in the beginning, even in the Garden of Eden, even in the very beginning said, I'm going to establish. <clears throat> Everything I've given you has been, has been grace. Not because you deserve it, not because you've done anything to earn it. I've given you this beautiful world to live in just as my gift to you because I love you. And even though you've messed it up, and you don't deserve me to fix it, I'm still going to extend to you grace. That is not just enough. It is so much more than enough. So I wrote this sentence. In the beginning, there was grace. But you'll never know that grace until you realize and acknowledge that you are broken. You really are better off broken. It's the only way to know is grace. So when I see people that are judgmental and nasty, when I see people that are always so quick to look at everybody else and to find fault with, then the first thing I always think is, you don't, you don't know grace. You, you don't recognize that you are a sinner. You, somehow you're thinking you, you're, now you've what? Maybe that's why this place is so sweet. It's because people walk in here broken. Broken. And I am the pastor that gets to look into the eyes of people that are so incredibly broken and to say, God is crazy about you. What he wants to extend to you is, is his grace. And the people that we reach, they always say, oh, I don't, I don't deserve it. I know. Neither do I. I'm no better than you. But that's grace. Maybe you're here this morning, you are a follower of Jesus. But maybe somehow you've forgotten the beauty of grace. just missed it. Maybe you've missed it because you think you deserve more. I see people like that all the time. I talk to people like that all the time and they're angry at God. 
I'm angry because God allowed this to happen to me. And we're angry at God because truth is we think we deserve more. We think that we deserve whatever it is that we get. And then we look around and we, and we, we miss the Big Dipper. And I, just so I, I'll tell you where I live. So every morning, somewhere between 4.30, 5 o'clock, I guess, I walk out and the Big Dipper is always just up above me. So I live just north of the Big Dipper. They give you an exact location. So when you walk out, just look up and say, Scott, shut You fail to see the beauty of that. When you sit on the beach and you hear the power of those waves crashing on the sea, you've missed it. It's God's gift. Enjoy it. Or when you go to the lake and you look down in the water and you see fish. I'm still, I'm a kid. I look down and go, look, look. I just want to reach in and grab one. Or for me, I'll probably do it this afternoon. Maybe I'll, I'll crawl on that old Harley and I'll hit up 14. And it's not a mountain that will ever go down in history as being one of the greatest. It's a little bitty mountain. But to me, I go, my daddy did that for me. So that I could look at it, so I could enjoy it, and so that I would be blown away by him. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've missed it, I could go on and on. How blue the sky is. On those days, am I the only one I know I can't be? You look up at the sky and there's not a cloud and it's blue. And I I wonder, I think, what? How how do I describe that color? And I know that people have tried to paint paintings and they've tried to, even a picture, but have you ever had a picture of something that was so beautiful and you showed it to somebody and you went, I'm sorry. It's not like being there. It's not, maybe you've missed it. As a follower of Jesus, you've just missed it because maybe you think you deserve more. So maybe you just need to bow your head right there and say, God, I'm so sorry. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. And if you walked into this place, my guess is you're fully aware that you're a sinner. And maybe you've been so fully aware that you're a sinner that you feel guilt and that's just conviction from things that we do that's wrong, but it's deeper than that. You, you feel shame and shame It's the definition of who we think we are. Here's what I want you to know. You have value. More value than you could possibly imagine. You know how I know? God is crazy about you, and he proved that. He didn't just write a few words on a page, send you a letter. No. You messed up. And you don't deserve my mercy nor my grace. But I'm going to send my son, Jesus. You know why? Because I love you. And I want a relationship with you. And it doesn't make sense. And Jesus said, I love you so much 
that I'll be willing to go to the cross. I'll be willing for them to beat me almost to death. I'll let them nail me to a wooden cross, hang me naked before the world. And I will die and I will feel every ounce of shame and guilt you've ever experienced. Why? Because I love you. I'm your only hope. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're ready right now just to say, man, what do I got to do? Shut up and tell me. It's to believe that he did more than just die, but he was raised on the third day, that he's alive. And then it is, it is just for you to humble yourself before God and to say, God, forgive me. I accept what you did. I can't thank you enough. And from this day forward, I just want to follow you to the best of my ability. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, Maybe you say something like this. You'd say, you know what? My knees really right now are just literally buckling under the weight of my sin. I feel overwhelmed with shame. Then I realize and recognize that what I need is you. I am broken. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you that you're alive and well. And thank you for speaking to me this morning. And to the best of my ability, I just want to surrender my life to you right now. I cannot thank you enough for your grace. Lord, you are amazing. To say that we love you, Lord, always seems to be so small what have I done in comparison to what you've done what have I done to show my love to you in comparison Lord it feels like nothing but Lord I know that the simplest act of our surrender to you pleases you that we take time out of a busy day to talk to you thrills you so all I know to do is to say thank you It's in your sweet name that we pray.